Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction 677. Science Faction, talking to animals and putting babies in fecal matter. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, those are two great, certainly a lot of questions uh, uh-huh. from those two titles alone, but uh, I'm I'm about to ascend into godhood, Bobby. So Are you um, saying, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, Damien, we took a, a, some break off. Uh, that was because Damien was, of course, in the Windy City for a week. He was experiencing, he was having his vacation uh, before he went and had his cosmetic surgery. He was doing... That thing, uh, cosmetic surgery, <laughs> doing that thing that like rich white women do when they go get a nose job and they go get the nose job and then they go on vacation to the Caribbean for like a, a, a month to let it heal so that they don't have to walk around obviously having had a nose job. Only you but I'm did doing it, this in reverse. you planned it like wrong. <laughs> like, you're like, if I do it ahead of time, then people won't notice that my balls look different when I get back. <laughs> I could only use my miles if I fuck up the order, and so yeah. I just <laughs> I wasn't gonna throw away those miles. So, <laughs> yeah, David. Of course, you get your uh, your ball Botox uh, tomorrow. That's mm-hmm. why we are we're actually recording a day early. Incorrect, Bobby. It is not ball Botox. Although I imagine that because like Botox, I imagine stings really bad. I'm just imagining like yeah, this, but that's what you're Botox. saying before, right? You want to get rid of all the wrinkles. You wanted it nice and smooth. I stretch it. I, I do. I don't. I don't cheat. I stretch. I do. Uh-huh. I do like. I stretching like a like a. I uh, I hire a crew of uh, of uh, workers. They're like t- personal trainers. They come in. They're like. It looks like they're folding sheets from a distance. Yeah. Because they really really stretch it out there. Uh, but no, I'm getting uh, more testicles added. So yeah. Um, yeah. So I I really don't have time. Like like these science are like once you're a god, mm-hmm. the 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 mysteries of the universe kind of unlock themselves. I don't need to go to uh, a comedy science podcast, for example, to get yes. my information. Once I'm you know uh, once I have my sweet six pack scrotum. You know that surgery uh, that people will get sometimes where they split their tongue down the middle to give themselves like a lizard tongue. Uh, Damien is getting that done with the penis, but they curl up the two sides into new balls. <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be a pretty sweet li- uh, we'll, we'll post pictures. We'll post it's, pictures on our Facebook. It's called the overcooked hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it also is uh, like uh, the skin is bursted and juices are flowing out <laughs> as well. It is it's unsightly. And speaking of the unsightly version person of this show, I, of course, am your host, comedian archaeologist Robert Timothy. With me is a gentleman who has never been described as unsightly outside of the ball doctor office, our comedian, Mr. <laughs> Damien Mercado. That's right, uh, but hopefully not for long. We're going to get that. It, it is a cosmetic surgery. We're going to get those, <laughs> those ball insecurities of mine fixed. Uh, I like the idea that you have a like. That's right. But I have a I have a face for radio, a face for podcasting. Would yes. be the uh, and the, and a, and, a, and a personality for mime. <laughs> well, oh, well. I, I have a face for podcasting and the personality for an abusive relationship. Yeah, if you've ever listened to I Call BS, you know exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bobby raises his hand suddenly on Zoom, and I flinch. Like uh, I, I wet myself a little bit if he if he if I read anchor on him. 
Uh, and if you want to wet yourself a little bit, go ahead and check out our Patreon. You can search Robert Timothy on You're Patreon not selling it. for four <laughs> extra episodes every single week. If you want PTSD to the point where you lose control of your of your bladder and possibly colon, uh, pay money to us, and we will send a team out to traumatize you. Bobby has no. I'm going to be honest with you. Bobby has nothing but time on his hands. Uh, he just thinks of ways to torture people. If you send him a schedule, a list of your fears, uh, I mean, he can always wing it. But if but he will he will he will personalize the experience to you, your own personal saw. Default, I'll go spiders and heights. That's what I'm going with default. But if you send me, if you're like specifically afraid of dogs or something, then yeah, I can work with that. And by the way, we know a lot of you are like gonna try to fuck with Bobby. Like, oh, I'm terrified of big tits and uh, and uh, and uh, Xbox. <laughs> don't 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 ever design something. He he'll, he got something for you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You th- you think it's funny until a cow udder hits you in the middle of trying to play Xbox One while you're locked in a room for 365 consecutive days. <laughs> There's only fusion frenzy. <laughs> it's a single. I'm only one player. This is worthless to me. This is a party game. Let's move right on to science articles. From molecules to particles, this is science articles. Article number one, will AI let us speak to animals? God, I hope so. Uh, because... um. Ever since Coco died, my uh, my go-to uh, chimp translator has uh-huh. been. <laughs> I was I used to have a gorilla, guy who, and uh, as we covered, <laughs> didn't actually speak. But yes, the best argument I can use because I I too like you have ruined people's uh, imaginations by with Coco. By, uh, yeah, because I, I, like the argument that gets across to everybody that they don't even fight back is if if we did have a way to speak to chimps, there would be gorillas. Uh, uh, or gorillas to chimps to whatever primate. Yeah. To, there would be a college of primates to sign language studies in every yes. school. We'd be the the breakthroughs we would have had with with the gorilla kingdom would have been. It also wouldn't have just happened once in the nineties. Like that's that's an argument for anything. Like nothing nothing good happened once in the nineties. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm trying to like, I'm, like it's a kind of an unremarkable. It's it's the decade before the the fall of Rome, so yeah, it's. Just, uh, I mean, like, look, if, a blank. if we had one gorilla that could speak sign language in the '90s, we would have had ten by the early 2000s, and like all of them would speak sign language by now. Like, it wouldn't have been restrained <laughs> to this one that somehow got a semi-starring role in the movie Congo. Like, it would that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> you do you think there would have been if we could talk to gorillas? They'd be far easier to work with than a golden retriever. That that changes the whole trajectory of the Airbud franchise. I don't know That's what you'd true. call it, Air Air Bananas or Air Cocoa. <laughs> I mean, they can't really jump, but maybe Air Mauling because they could really do that on the basketball court. Solid fundamentals, Cocoa. <laughs> There's a really interesting article in Scientific American. I want to emphasize that we're talking about, uh, you know, a popular science news article, not a, a published paper. So that's the difference here. But it's really interesting. It looks at will AI revolutionize our ability to listen to and to some extent speak to animals by essentially translating between them. 
And like language is weird because we have different definitions of it, right? Language is more than just words. We always knew animals had like what you would call words or phenomes or something for specific things, whether that's meerkats that would give a specific warning for a hawk attacking versus like a cheetah attacking. You know, one is like it's coming from the air and the other is coming from the ground. We knew that different animals referred to individuals of their own species by certain calls, almost like a name. Like we saw that, we see that in uh, in crows, we see that in cetaceans, meaning, you know, uh, marine mammals and stuff. We can see these animals using sounds in a way that make at least words. Now, combining them with things that you would call grammar, which would necessitate being part of a language, that's a little iffy and, you know, it depends on the species and, and a bunch of other stuff. But let's just say we can come up with an AI system that de can decode all of this. Like, we know whales have the specific patterns of sounds, almost like a language. We call them codas. And they can use those kind of like noises to, to again, to like identify each other, oh, kind of like names, kind of like specific words. The problem is we can record these whales nonstop and have some bio researcher doing their grad work, listen to it a thousand hours over, you know, years and years and go, I think they were talking to this one and this one. Meanwhile, we could have an AI system do all of that work in like 30 seconds to a much higher degree of accuracy with fewer hungover days, I might add, and, and put all and do do that a thousand times over for a bunch of different, you know, whale recording scenarios and pretty much narrow down what's going on and what they're saying. And in a very short amount of time, we would probably have a good idea of what this conversation was, what the whale songs were, what the meerkat specifics are. Maybe it turns out there's a different signal for hawk flying really high and hawk flying lower to the ground. And we didn't even notice that because it's not very discernible to our, our, our regular ear. This technology sounds like it was invented by lazy grad students. What if I told you that the way to becoming a whale expert is thousands of hours of listening to recordings? You're trying to create a cheat code to get to the doctorate. You would do so much better spending all those hours learning more about the society of whales than just listening to random noises. So, so what? You're not going to be able to speak to a whale when you finally, when this language barrier gets conquered because you've spent no time listening to the recordings? But you're going to have like a universal translator where you just speak in human and then it makes the AI creates the whale noises to speak back to the whale. Listen, I've, I've seen far too many episodes of Star Trek. If you become dependent on your translator, Bobby, that is, that is a recipe for hijinks. First of all, speaking to whales has already happened. One time in the 90s, when a young boy <laughs> said to a whale, jump over this rocky point, I will make it unusually hard for you, added an extra <laughs> element of height by standing and raising my, by the way, dickishly raising my hand as well. Like, <laughs> I'm going to make this extra hard. He was, he, thought he was that confident in this in this LeBron James of, I think as Mr. Sk uh, Principal Skinner called him, a disobedient whale. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, if I'm the, like the whale, the whale, there was more than one boy wide in the jetty. The whale chose to jump over over the boy. He could have uh, that or he couldn't see and had uh, and it was a very lucky. He was angle. being given bad information. The kid's like right here. This is the best place. This is the best place. And then he just stood up like an asshole. I, he deserved to die. He was a problem youth at the beginning of the movie. You knew there was trouble. This kid was trouble at the start of the movie. He'd gone from house to school to school. 
So, like I said, this isn't a particular particular like article published uh, about scientific research. This is actually a large, like, kind of popular science article. It's in Scientific American, not the ma- magazine Popular Science, but the genre of Popular Science that looks at all these different researchers who are looking at now with the explosion of uh, all the different AI systems, how they might be able to utilize these to speak to animals. They, were, they talked to one guy who was like, "This will work amazingly with whales." And here's a quote: "As a proof of concept, the team fed some of Jerry." recordings into a neural network, an algorithm that learns skills by analyzing data. It was able to correctly identify a small subset of individual whales from the CODA's 99% of the time. Next, the team set an ambitious new goal. Listen to large swaths of the ocean in the hopes of training computers to learn to speak whale. Project SETI, for which Jero serves as the lead biologist, plans to deploy an underwater microphone attached to a buoy to record the vocalizations of the resident whales around the clock. End quote. So again, if you record enough of this stuff, you're going to be able to kind of like crack the code and eventually you're going to be able to come up with a whole lexicon and a dictionary and grammatical rules. And then at some point you're going to be able to output something that you want to say to the whales. And I, theoretically, if you got it close enough to the way whales speak, they would be able to understand you. And that is fucking mind blowing. Because if you think about it, even if it's a basic conversation, you could have a basic conversation with a whale, which, by the way, would be leaps and bounds ahead in terms of conservation. Because you could be like, hey, guys, that place over there with the loud noises, that's actually a naval base. Stay away from there. And then they'll be like, oh, cool. We kept wandering over because we were kind of curious. You'd be like, no, no, no. You can get hit by a propeller and the EPA can't do shit about it because they're not they're subject to your regulations. So like, just stay away and you'll be much better off. And they'll be like, cool. Thanks for letting us know, weird, hairless ape thing. Yeah. For the time being, if a boat is speaking Japanese, just steer clear yeah. of it. <laughs> or finish Icelandic. I think those are the ones you really got to worry about. They still do it. The uh, the Finns. I thought they. I thought they. they cut it out. Uh, are they still? Are they still firing? I think they probably cut it out. But just in case, you know, there might be a couple of disgruntled <laughs> Finnish whalers. Pirate, <laughs> whaling pirate. <laughs> yeah, you could. You could. You know, have these conversations with them in terms of crows, which are incredibly intelligent. They seem to have a lot of this, like very similar kind of language type stuff where they're referring to individuals by individual call like uh, calls and you know notifying them of things that are going on and dangers in the environment by specific calls and stuff you might be able to do something like that and there is just so much even if you were to think about your average person and their pet like think of what it would be like if you could communicate even very simple ideas to your dog like i'll be back like you don't you don't have to freak out, bro. I'm not leaving you forever every morning when I leave. I'm, I'm going to be back. I just got to go to work for a little bit. I'm going to be back. And if you're cool and you don't eat up the drapes, when I come back, I'm going to bring you a little bit of wet food. Like if you could communicate that to a dog in the morning, you would have the happiest pet human relationship on earth. Well, the dog have the discipline to not shit in the house, though. Like, there's, there's a, there's like, I mean, I'm, I'm an adult and I have trouble not shitting in the house. But when my wife asks me not to, no matter how much sex, I'm promised. She just, uh, I will bring you home three packets of Reese's if there's just, we don't have to replace this wall to wall carpeting again. Please, please. Babe, I got it. Have a little faith in me. I'm not, we have two toilets in this house. Have some faith in me. Cut to, babe, it happened again. <laughs> 
I was watching that show about whether things are cake or not cake, and I didn't want to get up because, like, I was really invested into whether or not this was. It turns out it was. It was actually. It wasn't a handbag. It was cake, and I, but it had fooled me, and I didn't want to get up, and so I. I just. I. I might have shit on the rug again. I. I don't even remember it coming out, but I was surrounded. It's all over the inside of my leg, so it must have been me, unless a stranger shit in my pants. And then, like, took my pants off when I wasn't paying attention, shit in them, and then put them back. In fact, babe, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Side note, uh, I was once on a a spring break in college in Mexico with a bunch of buddies, and somebody shit their pants. It was a bathing suit. They were wearing a bathing suit. And he shit his bathing suit. And it, like, was, again, down his leg. And he, for at least ten minutes postulated that somebody held up his unconscious body and shat down the the (laughs) pant leg of his shorts in order to frame him. Somebody is a prank master. Let me just, somebody (laughs) at this party is a prank master. But I I was thinking, uh, if this scientist puts all these uh, microphones under the water to listen to whales, Uh There's no context in what he's hearing. There's no, there's, there's different, you sure. know, he might, I feel like, yes, you can crack a certain percentage of the code, but you're not going to get whale sarcasm. You're, you're not going to get yeah. a whale, uh, uh, double, you know, their, uh, idioms. Yeah. You know, like this is, this is why when you, when you finally are able to communicate with a whale, your first word is going to be like the whale N word. Yes. And it's, it's going to set back relations. Oh, man. And, you know, everyone's really, then you get like the whale Larry David in there who's just constantly being <laughs> overtly sarcastic and hostile for no reason. And you just think that's the way whales act so that you come off like a jerk and trying to emulate him. <laughs> your average whale, uh, you're George Costanza <laughs> on a fucking well at the Hamptons. Yeah, uh, whale, I have, a, I have a place in the Hamptons. <laughs> you should come check it out. It's pretty sweet. Article number two is the hygiene hypothesis false? Is this anything to not wash your balls, Bobby? Any any article that would justify this argument with your wife and podcast co-host? Unlike you, I am not ashamed of my wrinkles. I celebrate them by storing stuff in them. <laughs> it's, Damien, I'm an efficient man. I, I don't have time to pack a screwdriver or an Allen wrench on my person every day. <laughs> no. However. Let's go. I have Swiss Army balls. Like they, it'll just pop out. Lockpick kit, whatever I need. How have you procreated? This is insane. Uh, so now this is an actual uh, scientific article and comes out of science immunology. And it's really interesting. It suggests that parts of the hygiene hypothesis may not be as straightforward as we previously thought. David, do you remember what the hygiene hypothesis is? Uh, is, is it, is it related to sanitation? It's just yes. kind of, you know, uh, wash your hands, wipe your ass, shower, things like no, that, like no, to, no, no. to avoid disease. Almost the opposite. So the idea is that a lot of things like allergies and, and certain things that, that affect, affect us in modern society are the results of us living too clean a life that because we're too clean, our bodies kind of go into overdrive in certain things. Now, there are, we've talked about that on this podcast. You're yeah, saying that's there, wrong. There are cases where that's absolutely true. One of the ones we've talked about a bunch is polio. You know, you think of polio as something if freaking FDRs running around it, or not running yeah. around in a wheelchair <laughs> because uh, you know you got polio. A bunch of people at that age got in that time period got polio and they were in wheelchairs and it sucked. But it turns out that that only started happening in the early 1900s because before that the infections that caused polio were essentially so rampant that all kids got it before they were like two. 
two. And if you get it before you're two, really nothing bad happens. It's fine. It's kind of like the chicken pox that way. But if you get it a little bit older, eight, nine, 10, 11, that's when you can have severe reactions that cause a paralysis and stuff. So for a while, that entire thing of the iron lung and the people who are paralyzed from polio, that fell into what you might call a hygiene hypothesis. Normally, though, when we're talking about it, we're talking about it in relation to allergies. So if we are too clean, then you are setting yourself up for your immune system to overact to whatever it sees, and therefore you are more likely to get allergies. This came about when some German scientists recognized, I think in the 80s, that kids who came from bigger families that had more kids in them tended to have less allergies than kids who were like only children or, or maybe only had one brother or sister. And the idea is, you know, if you live on a farm, you get exposed to more stuff. We've talked about this in terms of having a pet. Over and over, it's shown that having a single pet, a dog or a cat, as a young kid growing up is going to dramatically decrease your chance of allergies later on in life. Ruin your hymen, too, if you're riding a horse. That's, yeah, that's true. That doesn't happen to city girls. No. Like if you're, unless you're rich. Unless you're very wealthy. Now, I said dog or cat. So are you imagining like a Beethoven scenario where you have a very large dog that you're riding like a horse? I hope for the dog's sake it's a, it's a large dog. I, I, would <laughs> I hope you have a great Dane or something, if that's the case. Yeah, it is, it is kind of cruel when you're a seven-year-old trying to ride that Cocker Spaniel down the road. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have no idea how he developed hip dysplasia at such a young age. <laughs> Now, a couple of things to remember when we're talking about the hygiene hypothesis, it only really applies to bacteria and to some extent fungi. It is not something that applies with viruses. As a matter of fact, from what we can tell, viruses are the opposite. Every time you contract RSV, every time you contract even sometimes rhinoviruses for the common cold, every time you contract the flu, it's actually going to make you more likely to have allergic reactions, to have autoimmune diseases. We talked about how Epstein-Barr is the cause of a lot of autoimmune diseases and stuff. So viruses don't really fit into the hygiene hypothesis. Take that part out. And also, by the way, they don't tend to give you the same type of immunity. Remember, you know, you get the cold. It's not like you get a cold once, you never get it again. So it doesn't quite apply to, to viruses. But there's a, there's a little off topic, but uh, if there was a, there, I mean, statistically, there has to have been a bar somewhere called the Epstein bar. Of course, yes. I, I would imagine it's gone. It has not served. It has not survived the last few years. No, and not because of the news <laughs> surrounding Epstein Barr infection possibly being the cause of multiple sclerosis. If for a completely different political <laughs> reason, Epstein, uh, the Epstein Barr didn't put itself out of business. <laughs> didn't file for Chapter Nine on its own. Well, a new study in science immunology actually looks at what happens when you take genetically identical mice and you, you raise some in a lab and then you raise some in what we would call like wilding conditions or dirty conditions. Country mouse and a city mouse. I love it. <laughs> and they found that like antibody response, like they found that they couldn't really see evidence that antibody response was altered or that the functions of T cells changed in any kind of meaningful way. They really didn't see that the wilding mice had any kind of distinct advantage in allergies and any of this stuff. Uh, here's a quote, nor did anti-inflammatory responses evoked by good gut bacteria appear to be capable of switching off the allergenic immune responses, end quote. That's another theory we had is maybe the idea is those wild mice are getting exposed to more good bacteria that's in their gut and that's the issue good bacteria with a gun <laughs> on the contrary <laughs> wilding mice developed robust signs of pathological inflammation and allergic responses when exposed to allergens end quote so what they were seeing is something they did not expect they were expecting that those wilding mice those those dirtier mice were going to end up 
showing less allergic responses, less inflammation, you know, a more tamped down immune system to things that wouldn't normally hurt them. And that was not the case. And these are genetically identical mice. Now, what could be going on here? One, it could be some kind of research design flaw, right? They didn't account for X, Y, and Z. There was actually more bacteria in the lab mice. Uh, the wilding conditions were much cleaner than they thought. The level of infections were affected by something else. This was a weird genetic strain of mice that because of X, Y, and Z act differently than, you know, what humans or other animals would do. There's a ton of things we can say, but let's say we confirm it. Well, then what's the next step? The next step is to figure out what then is going on. Is it true that kids from bigger families really aren't getting allergens as much and, and a lot of the stuff that we see is true or is that maybe just something we've assumed and it was based on weird 1980s German science that was like way too into like the burgeoning electronic music scene so they were all on MDMA and didn't know what the fuck they were doing like who <laughs> typical Germany Typical 1800s Germany. <laughs> no, 1980s. This is all Devo oh, 1980s. related. Oh, yeah. I thought you. I thought you. I thought you. Uh, thought you went back a bit further. <laughs> no, no. So you know, we're gonna have to figure out whether the data is wrong, the hypothesis is wrong. Most likely, it's gonna be something where the hypothesis holds true in certain situations. Like we said, we talked about peanuts. You know, that's a big deal. If you expose yourself to peanuts, expose children to peanuts very early on, uh, they end up not having allergens at nearly as high a rate. That has to do with the fact that we get kind of accustomed to different foods through the bacteria in our gut. So the sooner you get exposed to it, the better it is because you're going to get exposed to it sooner or later through oils or through whatever. So if you get it into your gut first, you have a better chance of not having that immune response. Yeah, there's there's all these examples that we know are true, but maybe those are exceptions. Maybe there are counterpoints. Maybe it goes back and forth. The idea is we got to flush this out completely, but very, very interesting because anytime we figure out something we thought was true, especially when it comes to health, especially when it comes to something like allergies, which again, we talked about before with autoimmune diseases can be a lifelong condition and therefore, you know, very costly and whatnot. Anytime we figure out we're wrong on that, we get one step closer to being right and to fixing the problem. And so as opposed to being like, ah, fuck, we got it wrong. We should be like, oh, awesome. We got that wrong. Let's figure out how we're right now. Or oh, this study is wrong because, again, maybe they used this one in a million genetic variant of mouse that it worked for, but for everything else, it doesn't. whatever it is, we're getting closer to the truth behind it. I'd like to redo my last joke. Um, I, uh, uh, now, that I'm, now that I'm in the right time period, it's 80s. Uh -huh. um, hey, Dudenkopf, hurry up your mouse experiment. Dieter and I have Kraftwerk tickets for tonight, stupid. <laughs> ja, 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 mouses are stupid. <laughs> All right, now do East Germany. Yeah, we do not. Kraftwerk does not come here tonight. We have nothing to do. So don't worry. Take your time with the mouse experiment. We'll try not to be assassinated. Uh, thank you, audience, for coming back to Science Faction 677, where you learned all about how AI might let us speak to animals and how the hygiene hypothesis might have hit a speed bump. Thank you so much for joining us, and come on back next week for Science Faction 678. The Soviets can take away our freedom, but they can never take away the quiet dignity of David Hasselhoff. You've been listening to Science Fiction. Wait, that's not right.